Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast. Every week, we strive to present the truth and love of Jesus to the heart of our community through music, art, and public speaking. Today, we continue with our study through 1 Corinthians, and we hope you are encouraged by this message. Let's get started. Good morning. I'm Todd, and uh, I'm back. Uh, From time to time, Jeff asked me to fill in for him to give him a little bit of a break, or when we come across those verses that he really doesn't want to preach on. He asked me. (laughs) No, all kidding aside, uh, as Jeff looked at uh, Corinthians going through this, I looked ahead as well and I said, dude, if you get to that section on the women thing, I want that. I would really like to talk about that. And I think and I hope that you'll see this morning maybe why. Um, because it's something that's kind of dear to my heart. And uh, so I'm kind of excited about it. But I want to begin really this morning in a way where Jeff left off last week, talking about changing and being wrong and changing your mind. Um, So let me ask you, just and don't answer this, but I just want you to think about this in your mind for a minute. When is the last time that you changed your mind about something. You know, you were, you used to believe this, and now you believe this. When was the last time? When, when was the last time you said to yourself or even to someone else out loud, I was wrong? Any nudging going on there? Next one. I was wrong. I, I, I'm wrong. I was wrong. I saw that this way. Now I see it that way. Well, the reason that I'm kind of excited about being here today and what I have to say to you is because this section of the letter to the Corinthians is something that I totally have changed my mind about. From where I was to where I am today. For those of you that I've never met, I was in ministry, full-time ministry for over half my life. And um, about five years ago, stepped away from that to do other things, Uh, but I was seminary trained and taught many years in another denomination that we'll talk about later. But um, I've changed. I changed my mind. I saw it this way, now I see it this way, and I wanna share with you this morning why that's true. Because really, in essence, think about it. If we're not willing to change, to change our mind, to be this way and then go this way, why are you here? Jeff said something in a prayer, and this was back in July. And I know you're like, dude, do you remember stuff? Yeah, I remember this because I got my phone out and I wrote it down. He said it in a prayer. And, and I've said to him a couple times since then, I don't even know if he knew what he was saying when he prayed it. But this is what he said. He said, Lord, we give you the right to change our minds. That's powerful. And I pray this morning that that's your prayer. 
whatever your mind is and whatever maybe it needs to be changed on, whether it's what I'm talking about today or not, but that you give the Holy Spirit the ability. Or somebody else put it this way. Allow yourself the uncomfortable luxury of changing your mind. I really like that. The uncomfortable, because it is, but it's a luxury of changing your mind. So with that in mind, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be in this place this morning, and we celebrate that uncomfortable luxury to change our minds. We give you the right, right here, right now, to change our minds, to be open to what you have to say and how it would affect us each and every day. If that happens here this morning, well, this will be some Sunday morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Turn, if you have a Bible, to 1 Corinthians 14. We're just going to continue the study. If not, uh, we're going to put the verses up here on the screen. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be some underneath the chair in front of you. And uh, turn to 1 Corinthians 14. That's on page 960. Um, Just a little background for maybe those that are here for the first time or haven't been a part of this series. Um, Paul is writing a letter. He's writing a letter to the church or the ecclesia in the city, the Greek city of Corinth. And he's A, addressing questions that they have asked him, and then B, he is addressing issues and or abuses that he's heard about as he's writing this letter from the city of Ephesus. Now, Jeff read this whole section last week, so I'm not going to reread the whole section. I'm just going to read several verses that are most pertain to where we're at this morning. 1 Corinthians 14, I'm going to start in verse 26, then we'll jump to 33 in a minute. Paul says, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for what? Building up. That's important. Verse 33. For God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. But of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silence in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak but should be in submission as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Verse 40. But all things should be done decently and in order. Now, are you ready? Anybody will like, ooh, this is going to be interesting. What's he going to say? Well, a couple things. Let me give you some context. As it said in the very beginning, and the heading on my Bible says, just above verse 26, orderly worship. That's the context. Paul is talking about order in their gatherings. 
But something else you need to understand about this section. You've maybe heard the way that women, even today, um, are treated in Islamic countries. You've kind of, women in Islamic countries, many of them, they can't be educated, they can't drive, they can't be out in public without their husbands. It's a very kind of, you know, mm, restricted way of how women are treated in those countries. Well, if you understand that, then you understand a little bit of how women were treated in the days of Jesus. It's kind of the same thing. So before we tackle what Paul is trying to say to the church here in Corinth about women and what their role is in the worship service, I want to go back and look at what Jesus what he had to say about women, or better yet, how he treated women in relationship to how the culture treated them in that day. Here's some things you need to know. In the days of Jesus, in first century Rome, in Israel and the surrounding areas, a woman was not a person. She was a thing. Okay? Number one, not a person, a thing. A man could not speak to a woman in public. Forbidden. Number two, or number three, a man could not touch any woman except his wife. And a man could, only, could not touch his wife during her menstrual cycle. If he did, he would be considered unclean and would have to go to the temple to be cleansed himself. In those days, women bared all of the burden for sexual sin. If there was a sexual sin, it was the woman's fault. A woman had no ability to own property and could not receive any kind of an inheritance. A woman could be divorced for any reason, from burning the supper to adultery. But a woman could not get a divorce for any reason. There was a group, uh, kind of a religious, I don't know, the religious police of Jesus' day were called the Pharisees. And a Pharisee who were the, kind of the rule keepers of all this stuff, when they would wake every morning, they would begin each day with a prayer. Here was their prayer. You think? I thank you, God, that I am not a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. Are you beginning to see how women were treated in these days? Women could not testify in court because their testimony was considered unreliable. So in these days, in the days of Jesus, women were basically invisible and powerless invisible and powerless to everyone except Jesus. Because see, not only did Jesus come to show the world what God was like, not only did Jesus come to show, uh, to offer his, his perfect life as payment for my sin and for yours, not only did Jesus come to show us the very best way to live, I think Jesus also came to demonstrate the worth and the value and the power 
of half the world that had been relegated to being used, unseen, and valueless. And he did that in so many ways. And I want to just show you just a couple. I'm going to read you a couple stories. You don't have to turn there. I'm not going to put them on the screen. I just want you to hear these stories. Consider everything that I just told you about how women were treated in those days and then listen to what Jesus did. First in Mark chapter 5. I'm starting at uh, verse 24. Listen to this. A great crowd followed him, Jesus, and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. A woman touched a man in public. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing that what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. What did she do? She touched him. She'd been bleeding for 12 years, which meant she was what? Unclean. Which then made Jesus what? Unclean. Did he freak out? No. He didn't freak out. He didn't scold her. He didn't beat her. You know what he did? He healed her. That's how Jesus treats women. Another story. Luke chapter 13. Just listen. Verse 10. Now he, Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. What did Jesus do? Number one, he speaks to her in public. Number two, he calls her forward. In those days in the synagogue, the men would have sat in the front, the women would have sat in the back, and he called her to the front, speaking to her in public, and disrupted the entire service, the most holy time of the week in the Jewish culture. And he touched her, and he healed her. That's how Jesus treated women. One more from Luke chapter 8. 
starting at verse 1. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. Did you get that last part? These women provided for them out of their means. They were Jesus' followers, and they were paying the bills. Some places, some version, even refer to them in this section as disciples. Here's what one theologian says about all of this. Walter Wing says, in every single encounter with women in the four Gospels, Jesus violated the customs of his time. Every single time. Whether it was a woman caught in the act of adultery, whether it was a woman who wet Jesus' feet with her tears and kissed them, whether it was Jesus speaking to women who were the very first ones to see him alive after his resurrection. They were not, to Jesus, invisible, powerless possessions to be used and abused. They were God's children, worthy of love and respect and honor. That's how Jesus treated women. Story about... Uh, a couple guys were, uh, I think they were at a pastor's conference or whatever, and this kind of this discussion uh, erupted in the middle of this, this conference, and it was, did Jesus ever meet a prostitute? And one part of the group said, well, yeah, Jesus met prostitutes all the time. He was always talking to prostitutes. And, and the other side said, no, Jesus never met a prostitute. Yes, he did. No, he didn't. And those that said no, he didn't, said no. Jesus never met a prostitute because he never saw them as a prostitute. He saw these women as children, his children, who needed to be loved and cared for. And in response to that kind of treatment in those days, some of them dropped it all, followed him, and even paid the bills for his revolution. Now, let me ask you that. Is that the impression you've gotten oftentimes in the church about how women should be treated? In some churches, women cannot vote. In some churches, women can hold no leadership positions whatsoever. In some churches, women can take no part in any part of the service whatsoever. They can't distribute communion. They can't read the Bible publicly. They can't pray in the service. They certainly cannot teach a man uh, and would never, ever preach a message or be ordained. But they can teach Sunday school and they can sit in the nursery and they can do all the things that men don't want to do. Am I right, ladies? Mm -hmm. And some of those 
are in our town. I was a part of a denomination that taught that. I led Bible studies on how it was not right for women to be in ministry. And you know what? I was wrong. I changed my mind. Because here's the thing, does any of that, of what I just shared with you, does that sound like what Jesus did? No. So where did all this confusion start? that now even still presents itself in kind of a crude, crude treatment of women in the church. Where did it start? Well, I think it all started in some ways in 1 Corinthians 14. Let's go back there again and read what I read to you earlier. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation, let all things be done for building up. Verse 33, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission. As the law also says, if there is any, if there is any they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Verse 40, but all things should be done decently and in order. So here's the question. In a couple of years after Jesus, is Paul demanding the church return to the same bigotry and chauvinism that Jesus freed him from? Kind of sounds that way, doesn't it? But I don't think so. Because here's the thing. You can't just drop the Bible out of the sky and not consider who it's being written to and what's going on at the time when it was written. Paul is writing to Greeks, to Gentiles, not Jews, in this very young church, still in its infancy. And the custom was in those days, I said in, in the Jewish synagogues, men sat in the front, women in the back. In this setting, in a Gentile congregation, the men would have sat on one side and the women would have sat on the other. And during the service, this is all gonna get real clear in just a minute. Men on one side, women on the other. And in those days, the, the language or the, yeah, the language that was spoken was Greek. And the men would understand Greek. The women sitting on the other side didn't always understand Greek. They would have spoken a more local dialect. So do you see what's going on? Just think for a minute. Let's say we all stood up and men all went on one side and women all went on the other side and the men are over here and I'm talking to the men and the women are over here and they can't understand a word I'm saying. If all the women are over here, what are they going to start doing? Thank you, Jeff. If all the women are over here and they can't understand what's going on, what are the women going to start doing? Talking and talking, and maybe getting loud, and asking questions, and they 
They don't understand what's going on over here, so they're all over here. And so basically what Paul is trying to say here is, shh, ladies, ladies, if you've got a question, don't say, hey, honey, what did he just say? Ask a question in, at home. Do you see? So they start talking, and women, they start talking, and Paul is just saying, he, even to the point that he has heard about this, it's like, Paul, dude, the, the, the women, they're getting a little out of hand because they want it to be done decently and in order. So Paul is just trying to say, ladies, during the service, is he saying a woman should never preach? No. Is he saying a woman should never pray? No. Is he saying a woman should not have any kind of leadership at all? No. He's talking to them there in that situation and saying things need to be done decently and in order. Let me show you another place where kind of, well, well, they did talk. Go back to 1 Corinthians 11. We're in 14. Go back just to 1 Corinthians 11 for just one second and look at verse 2. These will be up on the screen. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of, of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head this, his head covered dishonors his head but every wife who what prays or what prophesies so there was some praying and some prophesying going on by who the women with her head uncovered dishonors her head since it is the same as if her head were shaven look at verse 5 again but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head since it is the same as if her head were shaven. We have women participating in the service. But why this prohibition against about women covering their head? Because in the Corinthian, the town of Corinth, the only women who covered their head were prostitutes. So the Corinthian women were free to do whatever they, they were free in Jesus to do whatever. But in order to not give offense, Paul is suggesting that they cover their head while they're in the service. Let me show you something else. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy 2, which is also written by Paul. He is writing a letter to young Pastor Timothy who is pastoring the church in Ephesus, where Paul is when he's writing um, the letter to the Corinthians. So he's writing kind of to Timothy about some of these same issues. And in 1 Timothy chapter 2, look at verse 1. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful, a what? A peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So it's kind of Paul's way to say to Timothy, kind of, let's do this decently in order. Verse 8. 
I desire then that in every place the men should pray lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Hang on. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness and self-control. What in the world is going on there? Again, context. Again, culture. In Ephesus, at this time, when Paul is writing this, the central worship of the city of Ephesus was at a temple that was built in honor or to worship the female Greek god Artemis. Some would call her Diana, but the Greek god Artemis. And the temple of Artemis was the largest building in the town of Ephesus. So you think it had a little influence? This temple built to honor Artemis, well, it was an all-female cult. All-female cult. The god was a woman. The priests were women. The participants were women. And men were not allowed. Okay? Now, the leadership of this temple in Ephesus, built to honor Artemis, was on two levels. It was, number one, led by virgins whose job it was to castrate men. Yeah. Anybody want to join that one? <laughs> led by virgins whose job it was to castrate men, and it was led by priestesses who were temple prostitutes. Now, with that in mind, look at 1 Timothy 4. 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Paul is writing these words to the people in Ephesus to this young pastor who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving for those who believe and know the truth. They forbid people to marry. If you're castrated, okay, and the women are forbidden to marry, that meant you what? You couldn't have children. And that was affecting the church in Ephesus. Go back to chapter 2 again, verse 9. 
Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire, but with it, what is proper for women who profess godliness. Now, do you understand why? Who wore the, the what did it say? With braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire, who wore that? The prostitutes. Paul is saying, don't dress like that. Don't be like that. Look at verse 11. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she should remain quiet. Here's basically what Paul is trying to say to Timothy. I'll just summarize it right here. I permit none of these theologically ignorant women in Ephesus to teach because they are bringing their silly beliefs into the church. That's what he's saying. These woman, women need to be quiet and you women need to dress appropriately so that you don't look like who? So you don't look like them. And then lastly, look at this, look at verse 15 again. He says, yet she will be saved through childbearing what saved see when you and I normally hear the word saved we think what we think like salvation like going to heaven when you die is that what he's saying no you will be saved delivered that's what being saved means delivered delivered from what from this cult by showing them that you're not a part of this cult how by having children it makes sense 1st Corinthians 14 1st Timothy 2 and 4 are not saying what they have been used for centuries to dictate the role of women in the church do you agree it's just the opposite matter of fact 1st Corinthians 16 put it up here says this Paul, again, is writing, no, is that right? Romans 16, yes. Romans 16, Paul, again, writing to a letter to the Romans. In the very end of this says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in whatever that is. <laughs> the word servant in the original, in the Greek, is the word diakonon diakonon which we get our word deacon I commend you to our sister Phoebe a deacon of the church and for the rest of that section in Romans Paul gives he greets 29 different people and 10 of them are women women were treated horribly in the days of Jesus and Jesus began to set all of that right. Again, Walter Wink puts it this way. Jesus treated women as he did, not because he was gallant or nice, but because the restoration of women to their full humanity in partnership with men is integral to the coming of God's restored humanity. It's the way things are supposed to be. 
That's what Jesus did. Paul didn't abolish what Jesus began. There were cultural things that were going on in those days that had to be dealt with. And as any pastor would, Paul was dealing with those issues to say, it's the message, it's the message that matters the most. One last thing, if you have any question as to where Paul was about women in light of what he said here. I want to read you something from Galatians, or no, we're going to look at it. Galatians chapter 3. He says this, verse 26. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither, listen, Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For you are all what? One in Christ Jesus. And if you're Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. See, the issue in Galatia, where Paul is writing that letter to, was their problem was relationships between the Greeks and the Jews. And the issue was whether or not a Gentile should be circumcised. But what does he say? No, it's not about that. It's either you're all one. It's neither male nor female, Jew or Greek. You're all one in Christ. That is how Paul saw men and women. The rest was just distractions. Paul is saying to everyone, to men and to women, be who you are. Be who you were created to be. If you're female, then live and give and serve and love and speak and pray according to your gifts. And if you're a male, don't lord it over the women, but live and give and serve and love and speak and pray according to your gifts. Because when we do, the kingdom wins. Couple of applications. Ladies, ladies, don't ever let anyone tell you you can't. Don't ever. Jesus didn't believe that. Paul didn't believe that. God doesn't believe that. I don't believe that. Jeff doesn't believe that. This church doesn't believe that. So don't you. Some would say it's even kind of an order of creation thing because did you realize that as God created things those first few days that things got more and more complex as it went on? And the very last and most complex creation of God's was what? A woman. A woman. Second application. Guys, on one hand, many churches have restricted the roles of women, but then men have expected women to do everything else with little or no say in the church. 
Not here. Not here. Never. And then I would say it is time for the godly men to take their place in the church and begin working alongside the women in the nursery, in the kitchen, in Sunday school, with Jesus as our example to be the servant. Because remember, Eve was taken out of Adam's side, not his foot, which means we're to work alongside each other, not one under the other's foot. Last thing, and then I'm done. Two quotes. Most men at some time in their lives have put down women, but Jesus never did. From the earliest days of his life to the time when he ascended into heaven, Jesus exalted and affirmed women. I hope you've seen that today. Women have been abused and put down by men, sometimes very crudely and cruelly. But Jesus is the perfect man God wants every man to emulate. This is the kind of man God wants every woman to know in her life. Amen, ladies? Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for truth and truth that is yours and ours. Lord, I pray that today, as we leave this place, I hope that half of this group leaves a little higher, think a little better, a little more empowered. And I also pray that half of this group leaves this morning thinking, I need to get busy. And I need to treat the women around me the way Jesus did. Honor, respect, love, servanthood. Lord, give us the uncomfortable luxury of changing our minds about whatever it is you've shown us today. We give you the right to change our minds. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless. Thanks. We hope this message was an encouragement to you. Walking in faith can be difficult, but we are constantly working to remind people of the truth and love of Jesus, and we want you to be a part of that. So head over to our social media pages on Facebook and Instagram, or connect with us online at renaissancedecatur.org and help us make a difference in the heart of our city.